Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. It's your favorite degenerate, a.k.a. the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. Joined as always... The Bart to my homer. Chad Sowash is in the house, and we <laughs> welcome today Sean Luchens, Vice President of Product Management for Corn Ferry Intelligence Cloud, to the show. Sean, welcome. Hello. This dude's a dinosaur, man. This, he's, you can see he's actually in Jurassic Park right now. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there's a brontosaurus behind him right now. <laughs> Jesus. Where the hell are you at, Sean? Before we get into the, the Twitter stuff, where the hell are you at? Yeah, I'm in the Azores, hanging out in Portugal. I mean, you know, I'm working my way across the ocean. Next year, I'll hit the Algarve, but this I only made it part way this time. Okay, no, that's a good stepping stone. Maybe Madeira, and then you're welcome in the Algarve anytime. It's freaking gorgeous. Is Sean the first interview we've had that he's outdoors, that he's literally like parked his bike on the side of the road to talk to us? I, I think so. At least with the ones that we've had video, that's what we know. Sean, give the audience a little uh, a little bit about you. Your VP, of, as Joel said, of product management over at Corn Ferry, but give us a little Twitter bio about you. Triathlete, that kind of stuff. Ah, uh, well, yeah. So I'm glad you didn't ask about work experience because I'm so freaking old. Uh, it'll take a long time, but mostly. <laughs> yeah, your eight-page resume. Let's go over that. Yeah, it, no, no. So yeah, I mean, that that piece is basically, you know, miscellaneous product stuff, talent acquisition and, and pay type of things, basically everywhere around the software space. Nothing as an HR practitioner because that job honestly looks like it sucks because you have to deal with all the employees <laughs> with, while still trying to solve the problems. Other than that, yeah, I'm at, at Corn Ferry now and married most of the kids off the payroll. So I'm working, got one left out of, out of three, which will be a big momentous day for me. And then I have, uh, you making fun of me working outside here. I have done a couple podcasts from the trailer too. So I'm a big fan in the, the work remoter. 
Nomad, baby. That's right. The nomad life. I love it. So Sean and I both come from around the same place. So does Joel. But but Sean and I have have an interesting relationship because I was with Online Career Center back in 99. Sean, actually, you joined the Monster Board in 98, didn't you? Yeah, I was there ahead of you. I was there in the good days. (laughs) Yes. Well, yeah, when we were printing fucking money. All right, all right. But we've had so many listeners that we we talk about technical debt all the time and we just know it because it's ingrained in our upbringing in tech, especially when it comes to recruitment tech. And most of our HR practitioners, there are many of our listeners that are out there that really don't understand technical debt. So I want to bring in a product guy who's been around the block, who knows this shit, not to mention has stories. So that's why we are here today. So your first gig in this industry was, was what? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'd come over from Fidelity, actually, to show how old, I'll just claim myself and not you guys, I you know, helped kind of put together some of the 401k system at Fidelity and met Jeff Taylor. Along the way, we had put some, some online ads from some newspapers Fidelity had bought and came over to the Monster Board. So as a product slash tech person, and you know, not long after that, you kind of had, you know, TMP Worldwide had kind of stealthily acquired the Monster Board and Online Career Center, which kind of mm-hmm. interesting. Back in the day when there were like six job boards, they decided to consolidate two right away. Two, yeah. And so, you know, you really already had, to be honest, techno- technology was changing even back then pretty quick. So you already had our tech stack, which was completely different than Online Career Center's tech stack coming together. And, and how do you deal with and take the best of those and throw them together? And for those of us that can remember that long ago, we we merged and then bought a Super Bowl ad. And so, <laughs> you, you know, no, nothing makes friends with the people on the other side when you're trying to consolidate things and a real hard deadline. Can I give you an outsider's perspective on how that went and not knowing any of the inner workings yeah. of it? it? It looked like you basically took OCC and slapped Monsters logo on the website. We'll get into that. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. You, you guys are insiders. I was on the outside looking in. That's my perspective of how this thing happened. So I'll I'll dig into that here in a second, then we can get Sean's side too. But uh, first and foremost, let's dig into what is technical debt. So originally coined by computer scientist Ward Cunningham in 1992, technical debt is the idea that building short-term solutions to technical systems incurs a set of trade-offs resulting in future obligations that must be repaid in the form of engineering work. So it's kind of like using bubble gum to close up a hole in the dam instead of actually taking the time and resources to shore up your actual structure. Anything you want to add to that? Well, the concerning part is that term is not that much older than me being in the industry. That's probably not good when words come out. I think it came in with you. Maybe you're responsible for it. Yeah, I'm the creator of technical debt. Yeah, I mean, that. I think that's right. I think what's interesting is most decisions companies make, and I say most because we can come up with stories of things or shit just oh, yeah. completely wrong out of the gate, but most of those decisions, <laughs> if you put them in isolation, tend to be not bad decisions, right? Something's Mm -hmm. not going to break. And so you decide to go after the revenue instead of fixing your technical debt. And like like credit card debt, it just sits there and piles on it, you know, another year of interest, another year of interest. But most of those decisions aren't bad. I mean, I'll show my age, you know, Windows 3.1 was one of the most solid, you know, platforms you could drop anything on. And so there was a period of time when I was at Mercer, it was so hard to go get investment to write a new system because people would ask, well, what's your uptime? It's 100%, but I'm going to have to go to the old folks' home to get someone to write APL for yes. DOS on Windows 3.1 <laughs> pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And so when do you tackle that? But but I, I'd argue most of those decisions taken on their own aren't bad. It's just that they sum up over time. 
Let me give you my first experience with, with technical debt. So I was in sales over on the online career center side. So on the OCC side, and we had our sister, monster, the monster board, and we would use other job boards to find leads. Just makes sense. You'd use the, the newspaper job boards. But if somebody was already using a job board, you knew they already bought in. Right. And at that point, we were educating people on what the Internet was, let alone what <laughs> doing doing online ads were. So anyway, I noticed that Monster Board was timing out every day around 2 p.m. Right. So that's when I started calling on the leads that I got from Monster on 2 p.m. every day. So I'd start calling them and I just would ask them, you know, hey, where are you doing your your ads? And they would say on the Monster Board. I was like, is that still alive? I don't think it works anymore. But that was all because of technical debt, the infrastructure that monster that the monster board built was very short term, right? Uh, And it wasn't built like online career center. So to, to kind of like answer Joel's question, yes, what happened on the flip over in January of 99 was they took all the monsters and the colors and they put it on OCC and they redirected, pretty much redirected everything to OCC. I now I knew this from a back end standpoint because I was a sales guy and I had to do demos every single day, right? I had everybody calling me from Maynard, Massachusetts, all the salespeople, because they didn't know what this new this new platform was. <laughs> so Monster Board, pretty much, talk about the, tech, the, the technical debt that you guys had to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, when I got there, I mean, that was the thing. They really, you know, they were working in trailers getting it out. And, you know, still today, actually, you know, the job board business is a marketing business. Basically, how do I get consumers to show up and, you know, B2C space? It's how cool does it look, right? And so it looked cool. And it was, uh, you know, one of the reasons we went to online career centers, tech stack was there wasn't a Home Depot in Maynard, Mass. And so I couldn't buy enough duct tape, you know, to keep things <laughs> jammed up. And that's, that's right. I think that was the case. And, you know, to be honest, in the back office, you really look at it and you say, here's the tech stack we're on. Here's the tech stack you guys are on. We've got four months to get this right. And, and it was just yeah. on a better, you know, it's on a better tech stack. It was a little more recent and, and it was actually, you know, the difference between an Oracle or Microsoft stack. And you looked at it and they just done a better job of planning for the future side. And so we took the best of both worlds. In January of 99, when you flip the switch, tell that story, number one, and then number two, the load that it took on Super Bowl day. Oh, man, I don't even remember the stats, the load. But I'll tell you, you know, you talk about everyone else was enjoying Super Bowl ads and how stoked they were that our ad was on there. And Mm -hmm. there had to be, well, you know, a couple of the guys in Indy and myself, we were like ill, you know, just sitting there with fire extinguishers ready next to the server farm. Cause that's when you hosted your own, you're like, yeah. Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please. And I mean, the traffic spiked back in those days. Cause obviously you go from a not big number. Now the numbers are so huge to, you yeah. know, hundreds of thousands to millions of users. It was insane. I mean, to watch and you're like, you know, and then by halftime, you know, we were like, Oh, phew. You know, I'm still employed and we've got huge numbers and, and we're off and running. It didn't crash, did it? I mean, I, no, I remember no. everyone at, at our company was like, Monster's going to die. Like, they're just going to die. And they didn't. So congrats to you. That was a thing in the 90s that happened. That's the, so the OCC backbone, baby. Yeah, <laughs> OCC was the best. But the hard part of that tech debt stuff is, you know, like Chad mentioned, is, you know, how it all starts. I mean, is getting people to convert. So you do have monster people who made good decisions at the time, got it going. It obviously had yeah. a huge brand, right? And you've got to get them to agree to make a change. And that's mm-hmm. that change management piece is, is huge to this. Because you got to get somebody to admit, especially if you've got long-term employees, that what you did just isn't good anymore. The biggest name on that is Jeff Taylor. 
I mean, Jeff is the one who actually he instigated this because I think he saw that the you know they were coming to a bridge that wasn't built yet, yeah. and he wanted something bigger. He knew that they had the brand, um, but to be able to technically get to where he needed to, they were going to have to rebuild the entire fucking system. So why not just merge the two? But that's what you know. Good leaders sometimes know what you know. They're good at what they're good at, and mm-hmm. they and they they punt on crap they're not, right? And JT was like, you know, I'm not a tech guy. So you, you know, a couple of us from Monster go away with the OCC people and you come back and tell me what's not going to implode in January. And and you have to sign your name to it. And look, even if I was on the Monster side, think something like a Super Bowl, you're like, ah, I kind of want to keep it because, you know, it was ours, <laughs> but I also want to be employed in February. So, you know, I'm going to pick the best available player, you know, to win. Can we come into the 21st century now, guys? Yeah, Is that- we can. <laughs> Somebody, okay. <laughs> the consumer side, '90s was was great. So the perspective from the consumer business, the B two B stuff, and with the ATSs and things happening, my perspective is that the debt that has been incurred is largely a part of salespeople and the buyers wanting customization, wanting sales to be made, and those customizations happening because they want sales to happen. And ultimately down the road, when you get to 20, 25, 30 customers, the customization piece really breaks the machine. Am I right on that? And how did it get solved? At what point did we say, okay, stop it. We need to create standards in our tech and not customize everything. Well, well, real quick, I, I want to come up to today, but if we remember RecruitSoft, RecruitSoft was one of the very first applicant tracking systems that had a standardized rollout for every single one of their customers. So you couldn't come in and customize anything. I mean, it was just, and again, we're talking early, early days. Now they did that for a few reasons. First and foremost, from an onboarding standpoint, it made it much easier. From a sales standpoint, it made it much easier, right? So from an ops standpoint, it was much easier. But from a technical debt standpoint, you could last a hell of a lot longer if you could standardize. Then a lot of money came and customization became a part of what they did. They changed their name to Taleo and we are where we are today. Well, Go the ahead, opposite John. of that though is, you know, brass ring at the time. If you oh, wanted yeah. a configured system, right? You you could get anything you wanted, you know, like anything you can pay for it. But they got to somewhere around, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly, 25, 30 clients, as you mentioned, Chad. And then, you know, if they wanted to change a button from blue to red, they had to roll it out. 25 times because they had 25 different strings of code running out there as buggy as shit. And I think we're in a better state now. I mean, if you jump up, because I know Joel wants to get, you know, into the current decade, you know, the agile methodology, if people are on that, you can roll things out much better. And it's just a prioritization issue. But to your point, you still have the same fundamental problem of it's working. Do I kick it down the street and down to another quarter, two quarters before I deal with technical debt? Because I've got this giant client who wants something. Now, when you roll it out nowadays, you obviously roll it out for one, you roll it out for all. Who pays for it? We can put that on the, the other side. So so that, that technical debt from that, having multiple mm-hmm. strings of code, that just doesn't generally happen, at least if you're decent in the product and dev side, that, that just shouldn't happen now. The tools are better. <laughs> but you still create technical debt, though. That's a hell of a caveat, by the way. Ah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still people hanging on to that stuff. Well, and you still have people that are on tools that are even 10 years old, right? So let's not even go that old. Or you and I chatted once before. You mentioned like your LinkedIn just turned 20, which, God, did I feel old when somebody said that. They're going to have tech debt. You know, there's going to be companies with tech debt out there that you wouldn't think have tech debt. And when do you solve those things under the covers? And, and I guess rolling into that as well is, should customers care? I mean, it's not really my problem if your shit doesn't work. Should 
customers be asking questions to make sure that shit doesn't break down the road, to make sure that they're buying a tech that is standardized or is built for flexibility and growing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think customers should, because obviously if you talk to, you know, with Chad on, it's always fun to make fun of sales guys. I mean, you know, sales guys can be either your best <laughs> friend target. as a product person, or they can be your your worst enemy, right? You know, they come back and tell you what they just sold type of thing. Getting the product team in and just asking some simple questions around, you know, do you have a roadmap? I mean, you'd be surprised how many people are like, well, we don't have a roadmap. Well, if they don't have a roadmap, they're probably not thinking far enough ahead to deal with the, the tech debt. And you can ask some basic questions around, well, what percentage of your dev is, is for tech debt? Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions. And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, though, seriously, text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text kernel uh. brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. Text kernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey. Kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener. Get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> Are you struggling to attract the talent you need today? Do you lack visibility into where your recruitment ad dollars are really going? There's a better way. Acquire ROI is a programmatic job advertising platform built to optimize your budget and supercharge hiring. Acquire ROI automatically manages and measures recruitment ads across job boards so you can allocate your budget based on insights, not hunches. Get to quality candidates faster and cost-effectively scale hiring across roles, all while gaining complete visibility and control over your recruitment marketing investments. Say goodbye to manual guesswork, inconsistent performance, and wasted spending. And hello to optimized automated campaigns that produce qualified applicants. At Acquire ROI, we make job advertising easy. Visit us at acquireroi.com and start transforming your talent acquisition today. Well, can we see the roadmap? I've yeah. heard so many people talk about said roadmap and it's just total, it's as much vaporware is what they're selling in the first place. Now, I do have an angle from the sales standpoint. If 
the C-suite themselves understood what really drove business and they stopped putting so much emphasis on sales and giving them so much power, this shit wouldn't happen as as much. Yeah, but there's where I'm at now, it's a, it's a quarterly thing, right? So you look at it every quarter and you can look at your annual plan and put it together and you basically are saying uh, they want new revenue, right? So the assumption from <laughs> management and CEOs, especially public companies, is everything that you had this year is going to happen again next year. Well, you know this, right? I mean, they, they don't want to talk about renewal. Renewals should be 100%. And so you got clients on a platform, <laughs> they, you know, and that's going to work. And so now they want to know, how do I get the next dollars, right? What do, What's the next new cool thing to help me? What are clients asking for? This client needs this to sign, et cetera. And if you don't clear that old, your churn goes up. And then instead of having to get 10% new, you got to go get 15 or 20% new just to get to the same line. And that's the tech debt discussion that's really, really hard because companies are based on how much additional profit and revenue you had. That's just the way it is. Well, talking about LinkedIn, I mean, we're, we're talking about a company that's 20 years old and we're always making fun of them because they're coming up with shit like, you know, Instagram features and things of that nature that to me, it might drive engagement, but for the most part, it's not going to drive sales. So they have old infrastructure. They are dealing with tech debt on a daily basis. I mean, wh- what does a company like LinkedIn and do? And I'd love to know your thoughts on Microsoft owning them and how that plays into LinkedIn's problems. Or does it? Or not. I, I mean, I, I look at it as a you know, there's an opportunity there to get quality product in place, right? It's hard to fix tech debt. Let's just be honest. It's just like anyone's bill, right? Your mortgage, hard to pay off in one chunk. So you've got to get somebody with some rigor to kind of step in and say, what's the plan to get rid of the debt? Just like you prioritize new features, how do you get rid of the old? Start to line that stuff up in the roadmap and, and have some dedicated resources. You know, and this is where HR practitioners can ask, what percentage of your dev goes to tech debt? And if they say, no, 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 our, our shit's so cool and so great that we don't need to have it, <laughs> then you got to start asking yourself, well, how hard is it to switch, right? Because that's, that, to your point, Joel, is that becomes the question they need to ask, right? Why is it my problem? If it's an easy switching cost, who cares, right? It takes you a month to switch, doesn't matter. If it's your ATS or your you know human capital management system or something like that that thing goes bad where well, the best you can do is go find another job make it someone else's problem like it's it's not <laughs> it's not good and so that's where you got to start asking those questions how are you going to deal with those how did the pandemic impact this issue i know security infrastructure processes all these things sort of came to the forefront was the pandemic a good thing to sort of uh, get companies focused on scale and getting rid of debt i think it just depends on the company in my honest opinion if if you a company that had enough revenue coming in. So, you know, all of a sudden I'm selling toilet paper online. I probably have enough infrastructure and dollars coming in to deal with tech debt. Companies that had to get lean to get through, like I've, I've got to ride this out. I've got to go completely lean. Maybe if they don't have much stuff coming in, I think that's a tough question. And you have the philosophical issue, right? Does a company, you know, use COVID and that, that whole period to say, I'm not going to push out the same profit because of COVID and deal with tech debt. Uh, that's a leadership, you know, the CTO suite to kind of deal with that that issue during that time. When we're talking about applicant tracking systems, because these are, I, I think, the, the systems that are mo- most wrought with tech debt, can you somewhat explain to HR practitioners that the more complex their process methodologies are that they try to feed into these systems, the more tech debt they're actually building into systems? I think it's that, and I think the number of things you try to plug in. So you start adding the number of tools you want to have in your toolbox to be cool. You know, I got to have this tool, that tool, every tool. So now you're- So like the tech stack itself. 
itself. The tech stack, right? So every one of those could exp- exponentially go bad. So if it's a workflow and it's pretty linear and you're using different tools along that workflow, you start looking at a couple of those going bad. They don't integrate. They're on an old methodology, tech stack methodology. They're not going to integrate with some point in time. You know, because those big companies, the progressive companies will say at some point, you can't do this anymore. We're going to sunset this methodology. And if the other companies got so much tech debt that they can't deal with that change, you're now stuck in the middle of, you know, cutting and pasting from one process to the other, whatever it is. So I think there's just a lot of complexity there. And yeah, ATSs, I think, as you start to add all these other things in there, um, oh, I'm going to be the first one today. How cool. So even if you integrate something like ChatGPT or Bard in there, I get to be the first one to say that today. How's that going to affect the other tools that are down through the system? I mean, they all talk to each other. That being said, I mean, today's dinosaurs who have tech debt, what kind of chance do they have against the chat GPTs of the world? This more fluid technology that's actually making itself into into our space. And I mean, we've had some of these in our space before, more domain specific. So what? how, how do these dinosaurs have a chance against more of the, the more nimble platforms that are out there? So I look at chat GPT a little bit different. So I think you have to stick to your business principles, right? What am I trying to do for the customer. That doesn't change. Chat GPT now might be the way to get rid of some tech debt, you know, if you haven't been able to do these things. So, it, you know, here's the 10 things, whatever the number is that's in my vision of what I take care of for clients with my tool. That's it. Now, how do I get to those 10 things? And some of that was obviously slinging code to, to make these things happen. And now chat GPT comes along and it might be your chance to kind of drop some debt because it's just there. The weird thing from a product standpoint, talking to people is, you know, this is obviously a big leap in theory, is this sometimes perpetuates the problem, right? So some leader is going to be like, well, why should we fix the old? I'll just wait for the next chat GPT thing to come along. I'll just make this last as long as I can. And if you don't get one of those in time, you've got a problem. But I I think it, you know, for some places, if they can use the tool to solve the problem they're trying to solve, I think there's going to be some people trying to just use chat GPT because I want to say I use chat GPT. And now they're going to spend dev cycles on that. It doesn't change the value proposition to their end client. They might even try to charge more for the same shit that solves the same problem. And by the way, all those dev resources aren't tackling any of their actual internal problems. Facebook popularized go fast and break things uh, around 10 years ago. Are those days over or are they still uh, popular. Go fast and break things. I guess I'm a fan of kind of aim, fire, aim, fire. So, you know, building an infrastructure that I can make a guesstimate based on client, you know, theoretically a smart guesstimate on what I'm doing, get it out the door. I'm not a believer in zero bugs. I also don't want a million bugs. And then basically look at the client feedback and make those changes. And that that's where I think those discussions that HR practitioners need to have with product teams. Say, you know, how nimble are you guys? And, you know, do a little bit of research. You know, are you an agile methodology? You don't have to get down into the weeds about the tools and all that crap. But if they say they're agile and they do a release you know, once or twice a year, that's not okay. Um, If they're, you know, doing a release every two or four weeks, you can look at that and put that together. But I think just a little bit of research to do that and, you know, are people going to lie to you or do whatever, but at least you did your diligence. So uh, an article in InfoWorld said, quote, a growing school of thought among progressive engineering organizations says that technical debt should be a core part of the job of all software developers and that proactively managing technical debt, those teams may not only avoid sinking, but can actually outpace the competition. So the question is, is the attitude around technical debt changing and it can can it actually be a good thing? Well, you know, can tech debt be a good thing? I 
think so we we look at it and we try to tackle it in a percentage of time dev time goes to tech debt and so i think if you start to tackle that you're just always looking at what's older and what's what's longer and actually take a really pragmatic look at that is it a technology that's going to be around for another 10 years and is working fine i can kick the can down the road because obviously you can't do it all do i have stuff that I, isn't going to run anymore you know in the next little bit it's not going to you know i'm not going to be able to get dev going then those are the issues i need to tackle but i think most companies are now having some percentage of their time looking at tech debt. And, you know, hey, it's a great quarter if you've got no tech debt and you can do some new dev, (laughs) but it should be at least part of the fundamental product process to look at it and say, are we creating tech debt? And if you have engineers that are looking at dev folks that have to deal with tech debt on a regular basis, like any of us, they're like, I don't want to make that mess because I'm going to have to go clean it up because I can't just bury it in the closet. Or, you know, the other guy's going to give me crap if I write code or build something that's going to result in tech debt in another two years. And so it becomes part of the practice to try to eliminate as much as you can. Yeah, I think that magazine was more about realizing that you do have tech debt, everybody does, and managing it and who manages it best because it's going to happen. It's all around the strategy of managing that debt. And again, much like financial debt, right? Being able to manage the debt to be able to get yourself out of the hole, but you're not going to be able to, from the standpoint of just putting band-aids on it, there's got to be you know, a, a change in infrastructure. And again, that goes back to kind of like what we talk about with LinkedIn. It has more of my information than I think any other platform that's out there that's kind of like the job board-like platform or, or social media platform. And yet they return the worst results. Their tech still is slow and sloppy. And and I attribute that mainly to they, they haven't changed in, in 20 years. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the good news is with tech debt, I mean, think about it. The good news is to have tech debt, you've been in business a while. So, you know, take the, take the W that you've got that going, right? Um <laughs> It's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Well, you know, if you've only, you know, a lot of businesses go out in a hurry. I mean, I'd be curious. I don't know the number, how many go out of business because they just can't keep up at some point, the new tools and new tech, you know, so they've mm-hmm. got 50 clients on and to keep those 50 clients, they can't actually produce anything new. But I, I think with LinkedIn, I mean, you know, the Microsoft piece, can they get them on some type of fundamental product path to prioritize those things to get out in front of clients? I mean, obviously you, you, you might have an opinion, Chad, you know, have you link list those out? Is it the functionality? Is it speed? Is it search results? You know, what is that issue? And then as you look at those client issues, you go back and say, well, what's the root cause of the speed? And now, you know, is it the way I'm structured? Okay. I got to tackle that. You know, I got to tackle that because that's not going to get better. The speed thing will never get better with time. Yeah. Retro's, no. retro's not cool with everything. So <laughs> only my wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> Curious about marketplaces and marketplaces seem to me a great way to standardize things, right? Like if you're going to build on the platform, this is how it is. And this is our documentation around that. Curious Fountain, we talked about them in last week's uh, show. They just built a a conversational AI chat bot. It looks like a homemade solution. Whereas my thought was, why not build a marketplace, spend that time and energy to let other people build on top of that? Any? Just curious your thoughts on marketplace versus building it yourselves like isn't fountain just begging for more technical debt when they build it themselves yeah without i mean not pick on or talk about them specifically but i think you start to look at it and say what are things that are core to my business that give me a differentiator in the market what makes me different and if there's other stuff that doesn't make me different then i'm going to go try to grab that you know marketplace or i guess i'd use the term unified api platform that there's tools out there now where you basically you know their whole job is to be the uh, almost like the old job distribution 
distribution engines, actually, but basically be a platform by which you can integrate with them and they integrate with everything else. And you basically say, that's an everybody has it. No one's going to buy my crap because I have this versus, you know, something else. Where mm-hmm. I would argue with Fountain is if they think they've got something that's so much better than everyone else, it's a differentiator. It's why you buy. That's what you build. You build the stuff that makes you money. The other stuff you'd like, what's the most efficient way, cost-effective mm-hmm. way for me to get that either content or tech? Yeah, difference between a market differentiator and a me too, right? Yeah. Um, so last, last for me, if you're talking to two, two groups, HR practitioners and vendors, what advice would you give them surrounding due diligence? Because I don't think that we do a good enough job in prepping on the vendor side and also in even understanding. People are asking for, hey, can I have your latest RFP? They have no freaking clue what to ask. What should vendors do and what should the the HR practitioner do? Vendors, I think it's just a mantling you mentioned is managing tech debt. I don't know how to answer that question so much from the standpoint of what they should do to deal with those. It's say, how do you deal with tech debt? Like you said, I think everyone's going to have it at some level, but you know, do I have a small mortgage or a big mortgage? Am I about to file chapter 11 on my tech stack? You know, the goal for me would be never having to shut down. I think we jokingly chatted once, Chad, about that, you know, FAA. Everyone says we need to update the system, but I'm like, look, I don't want to be the dude flying the first week they put the new system out. I don't know about you guys. That's not for me. You know, are they going to shut down for a month to beta test it? That's probably not happening either. So that's so much tech debt that they've reached a point at which like, what are they going to do? How many years has that tech been out there? I can't remember. That software. Oh, it's like, it's 70, like 60, 70s. Like, yeah, it's actually yeah. pretty, you think about the amount of crap they're managing on seven. Like, I can't imagine, think of an HR company from the late 90s or mid 90s that you would want to use their stuff. And then think like how smart those guys probably were putting together the FAA stuff because it's still jamming along. On the company yeah. side, I'd probably say, you know, leverage one of your vendors, product teams. I literally would just, you know, make a network of, you know, obviously if it's someone you might be purchasing or whatever, they're going to be, you know, maybe biased. But I would go out to one of your current vendors that you, you really like the way they're doing business and say, hey, can I have 15, 30 minutes with your product team? Say, what would you ask? What would, you know, what would, you know, what would someone ask me that I would say, here's how I'm going to show you because I think we're in a good place where we are right now. Obviously, I'm slightly biased. We are moving some legacy tech data. I mean, one of the reasons I came, uh, came here was we, you know, there is some legacy tech data around a couple of the products and, but we're tackling that, you know, so there's a plan in place and that was kind of coming over versus get here and how much duct tape can you bring over when you come to Corn Ferry? That's not the plan. But if someone was to sit down and say, you know, can you spend 15 or 30 minutes with me virtually walk through the five or 10 questions? you'd ask and what you'd expect for reasonable answers. I think that gives you a really good starting point to see. And if, you know, if they won't put the product person on the phone or someone on that side, like that's, that's not okay. That's Sean Luchens, everybody, VP of product management for Corn Ferry. Sean, for our listeners who want to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? I send them to LinkedIn. The good news about being Luchens is there is like three of us online. So I wanted to take my wife's maiden name when, when we got married because I got it sucks spelling Luchens, but there are some times it works out. I feel the same being a cheeseman. Chad, that's another one in the can. We out. We out. Wow. Look at you. You made it through an entire episode of the Chad and Cheese podcast. Or maybe you cheated and fast forwarded to the end. Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back. Valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell, enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey, or just watch big booty Latinas and bug fights on TikTok. 
No, you hung out with these two chuggleheads instead. Now go take a shower and wash off all the guilt. But save some soap, because you'll be back. Like an awful train wreck, you can't look away. And like Chad's favorite western, you can't quit them either. We out. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.